Section one of National Geographic Magazine, Volume five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Discoverers of America, annual address by the President, Honorable Gardiner G. Hubbard, presented before the Society, January thirteenth, eighteen ninety-three, Part one. It is appropriate that we should take as the theme of our annual address for the year 1892 the discoverers of America. The discovery of America was the work, not of one explorer, but of many, carried on during a long series of years, beginning with the Northmen, continued by Columbus, Vespucius, Magellan, and Drake, and ending only with the 19th century. Before we speak of the discoverers, let us hastily review the condition of the old world prior to the discovery of the new. Two thousand years ago, philosophers generally believed the world to be round, and the most noted of ancient geographers, Eratosthenes, computed its circumference at 25,200 geographic miles. The true figure is 21,600 geographic miles, or 24,899 English miles. Ptolemy, two hundred years later, estimated it at 18,000 geographic miles, and made a series of 26 maps showing the equator and the zones north of the equator with parallels of latitude and meridians of longitude. As his baseline was too short, and his knowledge of places was generally derived only from seamen who had no accurate means of determining distances, his maps, though showing most of the countries of Europe, Asia, and northern Africa, plate one, were inaccurate and unreliable, though vastly superior to those of a later date. These maps were either lost sight of, or so changed by the pictorial extravagances of the map-makers of succeeding ages as to be of little value. Plates 2 and 4. St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, and other fathers of the Church believed the earth to be a vast plain. They said with Isaiah that the heaven which embraces the universe is a vault, with Job, that it is joined to the earth, and with Moses, that the length of the earth is greater than its breadth. This, they insisted, was the teaching of the word of God, and must be accepted. Those who believed that the world might be round declared that there could be no inhabitants on the other side, for that Christ said, All tribes of the earth shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. The famous bull of Alexander the Sixth, published in 1493, which gave all newly discovered land one hundred leagues west of the Azores to the Spaniards, and east of that line to Portugal, implied that the earth was a plain. For fifteen hundred years science and the church were in opposition as to the shape of the earth, and there were very few, whatever might be their convictions, who dared question the infallibility of the church. Thus all progress in natural science was checked, and geography and map-making practically ceased to exist. Early in the fourteenth century Marco Polo's book of travels appeared. This greatly increased geographic knowledge, and had a direct and strong bearing on the discovery of America. In the preceding century the father and uncle of Marco Polo, merchants of Venice, made two journeys to the court of the great Khan Kublai in eastern China. On the second journey Marco Polo accompanied his father and uncle. They went by Persia, over the Pamir Mountains, through Turkestan, 
across the great desert of Gobi, and through Mongolia to China. There they resided for many years, sent by the Khan on several missions, and occupying important positions. On their return they sailed through the China Sea and Indian Ocean to India, stopping at the Philippine and Spice Islands, Sumatra and Ceylon. From India they traveled by land through Persia and Asia Minor, and by the Black and Mediterranean Seas to Venice. Soon after his return, Marco Polo was taken prisoner by the Genoese, and during his captivity wrote an accurate description of the countries through which he traveled, and in which he had lived so many years, and of the islands of Sipango, or Japan, with its inexhaustible riches of gold and pearls, five hundred miles east of China. He also described the voyages of the Chinese to the islands of the Pacific, to Ceylon, and to India, and of the rich trade carried on by the Mohammedans between the Spice Islands, India, and the Mediterranean. These travels became gradually known to geographers, and in the fifteenth century gave a new impulse to geographic study. About the same time the old maps of Ptolemy, which had been hopelessly obscured by the graphic fancies of the cosmographers of the Dark Ages, were, with his writings, brought from the east to Italy. The maps of the Dark Ages showed the Mediterranean and the countries around it, Arabia, Persia, Media, Gog, and Magog, and a little of northern Africa, but so vaguely and incorrectly that today one would scarcely recognize these countries on existing maps. Toscanelli, an Italian, prepared a map about 1474, taking the travels of Marco Polo as his guide. On other maps, Cathay, or China, had been delineated as east of Europe, Toscanelli's transferred it to the west. His map shows the Atlantic Ocean, Sipango, 100 degrees west of Europe, and still further westward, Cathay. He sent a copy of this map to the King of Portugal, and subsequently another to Columbus, urging him to make his contemplated voyage to the land where the spices are born, where the temples and royal palaces are covered with planks of gold. Plate 3. Let us consider the conditions of Europe at the time of the voyages of the Norsemen to America, and the great changes which were gradually preparing the way for the colonization of America. For nearly one thousand years B.C., the ships of Tyre and Sidon, Alexandria and Greece, sailed through the Mediterranean into the Atlantic Ocean as far as Britain. The early sailors were more adventurous, and their ships more seaworthy, than those of Columbus. But as the mariner's compass was not known, they rarely ventured out of sight of land. When Rome became the imperial city commerce, as well as dominion and authority, centered in Rome, and with her decline and fall shipping and commerce disappeared from the Mediterranean. Then, far away in the north of the Baltic Sea, the Northmen began to sail the ocean, not for discovery or commerce, but to plunder and ravage richer communities than their own. The Vikings became noted as bold rovers of the sea, pillaging every country they could reach by water. Sailing southwestward, they landed on the coast of France and made a permanent settlement in Normandy. They coasted along the shores of France and Spain, plundering as they went. Passing the pillars of Hercules into the Mediterranean, they ravaged the coast of Italy and established colonies in southern Italy and Sicily. Sailing westward, they conquered and colonized the eastern coast of England and Scotland, the Shetland, Orkney, and Faroe Islands, and from these islands, in A.D. 850, they sailed 300 or 400 miles northwestward to Iceland, 
where they made settlements which have continued until our day. One of the early settlers of Iceland was driven by adverse winds to Greenland, where he was compelled to winter, returning in the spring with an account of his discovery. About 986, Eric the Red, an outlaw, fled from Iceland with a few friends to Greenland. Prevented by the icebergs from landing on the eastern coast, they sailed around Cape Farewell to the western coast, where they founded two small colonies near Juliansburg, which existed for four hundred years until, forgotten and neglected by the mother country, overcome by want and hunger, they succumbed to the climate and the attacks of the Eskimo. Shortly after Eric had colonized Greenland, Bjarni, another Northman, sailing for Greenland, was driven by northeasterly winds, continuing for many days far southwestward to a land covered with dense woods. There was every reason to believe that this was America, and that Bjarni was its first discoverer. It was not the land of ice and glaciers he was seeking, so he sailed northeastward again, and in ten days reached Greenland. Leif Erikson, one of the Norse Vikings, hearing of this land of woods, about the year 1000, sailed from Greenland in search of it. Passing the barren coasts of Labrador and Newfoundland, which he called Heluland, his party reached Nova Scotia, or Markland, and sailed southward to a place where they found grapes, and hence called it Vinland. They were surprised at the length of the winter days, which were nine hours long. The natives they described resembling our Indians, and not the Eskimo of northern latitudes, and from these statements, and the calculation of latitude from the length of the day, it is believed that it was New England. There they founded the colony of Norumbega, but after a few years it was abandoned, as the settlers were unable to withstand the attacks of the natives. All original records of the discovery of Vinland have perished, and our present knowledge is derived from the sagas of the Northmen, written at least one or two generations after Vinland had been abandoned. These legends bear the impress of truth, and there is no reasonable doubt that Leif Erikson was a real character and Vinland his discovery. The sagas were lost, or laid away, and forgotten, in the libraries of Norway and Sweden. In our days some of them have been unearthed, and we know more of the work of Leif Erikson and his Northmen than was ever known before. This discovery was not known beyond Greenland and Iceland, except to a few men in Scandinavia, for this was the darkest age in the history of Europe. When the Northmen were making their settlement in Greenland, Peter the Hermit appeared in southern Europe, mustering his forces for the first of those crusades which, in their ultimate results, accomplished a work of vastly greater importance than the redemption of the holy places from the Mohammedans. The transportation of pilgrims to and from the Holy Land gave employment to the ships of Venice and Genoa, and restored commerce to the Mediterranean. Their vessels brought the treasures of the Orient and the science and art of Greece and Asia Minor to Venice and Genoa, whence they were distributed through Italy and Europe. The feudal system was broken down, and the Renaissance brought in. Europe awoke from the long sleep of the Dark Ages to a new life and energy. Progress in art and science became rapid, and the world entered upon an era of invention and discovery. By the middle of the fifteenth century, Brunelleschi had finished the Duomo at Florence, where Savonarola was preaching, and Michelangelo was studying. Faust and Gutenberg were inventing movable types at Frankfurt, upon which the Bible, the first book ever issued from the printing press, was printed. Gunpowder and the Mariner's Compass were just coming into use in European countries, 
though both had been discovered earlier. In England, the Wars of the Roses were over. Henry the Seventh was king, and with him the reign of the Tudors, and the prosperity of England commenced. In Spain, Ferdinand and Isabella were preparing for that war with the Moors, which resulted in their expulsion from the Spanish dominion. In Eastern Europe, the Turks had a short time before captured Constantinople, and destroyed nearly all the commerce of Venice and Florence, and were now raising an army to ravage Austria and Hungary. In Portugal, Prince Henry the Navigator was making those voyages to the coast of Africa for discovery and trade, which made Portugal, for 150 years, the greatest maritime nation of the world. Each year these expeditions sailed further and further southward, passing the Gold Coast, the Equator, the River Congo. They sailed out into the ocean and rediscovered the Azores, Madeira, and the Canary Islands, formerly known to the Phoenicians. In 1442 their ships brought home African Negroes to be sold as slaves in Lisbon, the beginning of the African slave trade. In 1486 Diaz rounded the southern extremity of Africa and called it the Stormy Cape, though Prince Henry named it the Cape of Good Hope. Greater discoveries were made during the lives of men contemporary with Columbus than in all times previous or subsequent. Columbus is for us the principal figure in this new world. He was born in Italy about 1446, although we know with certainty neither the place nor the time of his birth, and but little of his early life. He followed the sea for many years, sailing to Africa, England, and probably Iceland. About the year 1470 he is found in Portugal, where some say he was shipwrecked on the coast, while on a piratical voyage. Here he married a Portuguese lady, whose father had been governor of one of the islands off the coast of Africa, and there he resided for several years, making maps and pursuing those studies which fitted him for his greatest voyage of discovery. He knew that the spices from the islands of the Indian Ocean, the silks, diamonds, and pearls of India, were carried by the Arabs through the Red Sea, or up the Euphrates, in boats, and thence by caravans to the Mediterranean and Black Seas, where they were exchanged with the merchants of Venice and Genoa for the goods of Europe. He was convinced, by the study of Marco Polo, not only of the wealth of Sipango and Cathay, and of the great trade between the Orient and the Mediterranean, but also of the possibility of reaching those countries and obtaining that trade for Spain by sailing west, rather than by circumnavigating Africa. The actual distance from Europe in a due west line to Sipango is nearly 12,000 miles. Toscanelli estimated it at 100 degrees, or nearly 5,000 miles, but his map showed islands on the route which would reduce the distance between any two lands to about 2,000 miles. Columbus was a devout Catholic, holding to the teachings of the Church. In the book of Esdras, he read that God on the third day of the creation made the earth, six parts of land and one-seventh water. He knew the vast extent of the Atlantic north and south, and reasoning from these facts, he thought it could not be over two thousand or twenty-five miles to Sipango, though he actually sailed three thousand two hundred and thirty miles before he reached a new world. After Columbus determined to cross the Atlantic, he applied for help to the king of Portugal. He wrote, They took my charts and writings from me, saying they would ponder them, but secretly they sent out the ships they had denied me. God drove them back on their own coasts and punished their treachery, but I could no longer trust them. He therefore left Portugal for Spain. Las Casas describes him at this time as a man of noble and commanding presence, tall and well-built, with a ruddy complexion, 
keen blue-gray eyes that often kindled while his waving white hair made him quite picturesque his manner courteous and his conversation charming he had an indefinable air of authority as became a man of great heart and lofty thoughts it was this commanding presence which enabled him to stand before ferdinand and isabella as their equal in fourteen eighty four he arrived in spain a foreigner poor and in debt a stranger and friendless he appeared at the court of the proudest sovereigns of europe yet such was his bearing and the effect produced upon the king and queen by his eloquence that they appointed several learned men to consider his project some few believed many remained in doubt but most laughed at him as visionary and ridiculed his proposals as the dream of a madman those that were convinced by his reasoning became his firm friends for seven years he waited patiently at the courts renewing his suit from time to time until granada was conquered when isabella had promised to listen to him a man less confident less in earnest would have succumbed before the many difficulties and delays he encountered again he applied to isabella and she agreed to equip a fleet columbus demanded that he should be made high admiral of the western seas and viceroy and governor of all the continents and islands which might lay therein and that he should receive one-eighth of the net profits from all trade with such countries isabella refused but columbus knowing that the discovery of a new and shorter route to the spice islands would give spain the control of their trade and realizing the power and wealth that would accrue to the spanish throne through such discovery insisted on his demands and for this great constancy and loftiness of soul las casas commends him after this refusal columbus mounted his mule and started for france but was soon recalled he returned to the court which agreed to his demands a patent was granted appointing christopher colon as soon as he shall have discovered said islands or mainlands in the ocean sea or any one of them to be our admirable of the ocean sea viceroy and governor in the said islands or mainland i the queen i the king the fleet of columbus was three small vessels the largest a single-decked ship ninety feet long the others with decks only in the stern and prow his crew was ninety men on august sixth fourteen ninety two they sailed from palos and on october twenty first they discovered the indies columbus returned to spain and appeared at the court of isabella with his train of indians bearing gold silver and precious stones and other products of the islands he had discovered it was cathay and the shorter route to the indies he supposed he had found though he did not find the cities and rich countries of gold and silver the pearls and jewels that he sought he thought these treasures lay further westward and that he must find the straits of malacca and through them sail to the spice islands in india and for that purpose he sailed on his second voyage and after following the coast of cuba one thousand miles believing he had found the continent of asia returned to spain ferdinand and isabella gave many persons the right to visit the newly discovered lands as was their prerogative but they also appointed governors over the land and water contrary to their agreement with columbus on his third voyage in fourteen ninety eight he reached south america the first european to discover that continent he found a large bay and thought he had reached the straits but alas the waters were fresh it was only the orinoco river he coasted for some distance along the shore of the caribbean sea still looking for the straits and then set sail for hispaniola or cuba where he had left his brother governor on arriving he found his brother deposed and imprisoned columbus himself was put in chains and sent home 
the captain of the vessel offered to remove his chains but he refused saying that they had been put on by order of the king and could be removed only by him while columbus was vainly searching in the new world for the orient vasco da gama found it for portugal in fourteen ninety seven by sailing around the cape of good hope and crossing the indian ocean to india and the spice islands he returned to lisbon bearing all manner of precious stones silks and satins and spices of every kind columbus for the time was forgotten and it was only after a long detention that he was permitted again to sail towards the western world on his fourth and last voyage columbus landed at honduras followed the coast of nicaragua and the isthmus of panama and then sailed along the caribbean sea vainly searching for the straits that would lead him to the promised land on his return from this voyage the queen his friend was dead and their last eighteen months of his life were spent in poverty and sickness at valladolid where he died in fifteen o six so little known that local records of the city which give many insignificant details make no mention of his death after columbus had opened the way it was easy for other navigators to follow where he had led two other italians john cabot and sebastian his son sailed from england in fourteen ninety seven nearly due west for cathay they discovered newfoundland and sailed thence northwestward along the coast of labrador and were probably the first discoverers of the continent of america the next year they made another voyage to newfoundland and then followed the coast of north america southward probably reaching the carolinas these voyagers still seeking cathay and the spice islands cared little for a land of hills and rocks where neither gold nor silver was found two generations passed before we hear of any further english expeditions to the new world the most noted of the followers of columbus was americus vespucius like columbus and the cabots an italian a pilot of great reputation sailing in the service of portugal in fourteen ninety seven he sailed around the gulf of mexico honduras mexico and florida and thence along the coast of north america nearly to chesapeake bay on another voyage he sailed to south america reaching it a little north of cape st roque he followed the coast nearly to the mouth of the rio de la plata taking possession of the country for the king of portugal vespucius knew that this country was south of every part of asia and therefore could not be a part of the world as then known he realized that he had discovered a new world an account of this voyage was published in german italian and french with the title in the french edition novus mundus in a map published in fifteen fourteen it was called america thus the name of americus vespucius was given to the new world and he received the honor due to columbus it was said that columbus had discovered new islands vespucius a new world that world already discovered by northman then by columbus the third time by cabot and now by americus vespucius end of section one